0: to our teaching in the book of Matthew. Now the last time we were here we were in chapter 26 where we were dealing with Jesus's final moments before his betrayal and crucifixion. The issues that we looked at were number one Jesus informed his disciples once again as he would always do since Peter's revelation that is Peter saying that you are the Messiah, the son of God. Since that particular time, Jesus was telling them that he would ultimately go to Jerusalem and there be betrayed and crucified. And then of course rise from the dead. So he reminded them of this once again. And we saw also too how the chief priests were determined and looking for a way to uh, arrest Jesus and have him put to death but they didn't want to do it on the feast day because they didn't want a riot to happen amongst the people. And so they were looking for a way to get Jesus and take him by stealth. This Judas provided when Judas came to the chief priest, seeking money from them, asking them what would you give me if I should hand him over to you? And they agreed to give Judas 30 pieces of silver if he would betray Jesus to them. And so Judas went out looking for an opportune moment that he could betray Jesus. That is apart from the crowd, so that they could come and arrest Jesus and take him away without a great ride starting amongst the people. But nevertheless, so the chapter continued on with Jesus celebrating the final Passover with his disciples. And this was a Jewish Passover celebration that Jesus did. However, in the Passover, he gave a couple of things, two, uh, two things, new meaning. That is, he took the afikoman, he took that middle piece of matzah, that unleavened stripe and pierced piece of bread that was broken, and he said it was his body. Then he took up that third cup, the cup of redemption, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And he gave those two things new meaning. Then after that, they sang hymns and went into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And there, while he prayed, there whilst he prayed, he took with him Peter, James, and John with him closer. And he kind of moved away from them a little bit as Jesus himself began to pray. And there in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was struck with something that took place that had never happened before. That is that human spirit of his that was in constant contact with the father, that spiritual connection was broken as it was at that particular moment. Jesus began to take upon himself, the sins of the world. Why? Because man spiritually dead, Jesus began to understand what that feeling was like. But nevertheless, go back and look at the video. I'm not going to get into all of that at this particular time, but he began to pray earnestly before the father to take that particular uh, suffering away from him, that spiritual connection. But nevertheless, it was the divine will of God to do so. While Jesus was praying, his disciples were asleep and Jesus came two times, try to wake them. But of course, sleep had just simply overcome them. By the third time that Jesus had come, he awoke them and simply told them that the one who was betraying him, that is Judas, was now at hand. Okay, now with that, we'll finish the rest of Matthew chapter 26. Again, it is somewhat lengthy, but it is not a difficult passage. Also, too, there are not so much as a lot of theological high points that we need to touch upon. We will from time to time. But really, we see basically a narrative that deals with the events that led to Jesus's ultimate condemnation by the Jewish people and finally his condemnation by Rome, which we'll find this in chapter 27. But what we are about to see as we continue in chapter 26 is the condemnation by the religious leaders. Jesus had to have a trial by them and their trial would be one based upon religious. It would be a religious trial as Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious council of the Jews. Now, when we see them come before Pilate, that is before the Romans, it will be a civil trial. So what we will find is the basis of condemnation for Jesus will be on two different front from the Jewish people. That is from the Sanhedrin to Jewish leaders. There will be a religious condemnation that is blasphemy. From the condemn- from the perspective of Rome, there will be a civil condemnation. That is Jesus is leading a riot against Caesar by claiming himself to be king. And they say they have no other king, but Caesar. So there will be two different positions taken one religious from the Jewish perspective, blasphemy to be cut co- so that they will find him guilty of death from the Romans. And we are a little bit premature on that, but nevertheless, which would be sedition. That is Jesus claiming to be a king in Caesar's domain. Okay. Both of them to be found guilty, uh, uh, and to be able to be put to death. And so this is what they were looking for. Okay. Without getting into all of that, let's just simply continue with our teaching in the book of Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 47 with Judas's arrival in the garden of Gethsemane to lead the Roman soldiers to Jesus. And again, how did Jesus know this? How did Judas know this particular place? Because Judas was one of the 12, those who intimately followed Jesus. And he was aware that Jesus would retire to this place from time to time. Verse 47. While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12 came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Okay. So now we are at the arrest of Jesus. And so what do we see? We see now after Jesus praying for those three hours, Judas has now come with a band of men and it's in another gospel. I believe it's in John because we do remember that all of this is spread throughout the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John concerning the arrest of Jesus, that it was a cohort, a Roman cohort that came to arrest Jesus. So when Matthew speaks of a large crowd, he is talking of a group of a large group of soldiers. A Roman cohort was anywhere from 400 to 600 Roman soldiers. So the high priest had garnered up these Roman soldiers because remember now it was during this particular time that they increased the number of Roman soldiers and even Pilate himself who was normally in Caesarea but Pilate is in Jerusalem at this time to keep the peace as I've told you earlier that during these great festive days the number of Jewish people especially men would increase manifold in Jerusalem at this time. It would also be a time when there would be nationalistic fervor arising among the Jewish people desiring to throw off the yoke or the domination of Rome. So you would see a great number of soldiers being placed at the disposal of the priest at this time. And so what did he do? He got a large number of Roman soldiers as well as soldiers from the temple itself. And they accompanied Judas with lanterns because it was nighttime and with swords and with clubs. Now, one of the reasons which seems obvious why it was such a large group of soldiers and people coming to arrest Jesus at this time was simply because they remembered that they knew that Jesus was highly favored by the people. So, per adventure, there was a large group of people around Jesus. They would be able to overcome them, take Jesus and arrest him. But nevertheless, coming with a large group of people, there was Judas and Judas gave them a sign. He told them, the person that I kiss That one is Jesus. Of course, had to identify him. Number one, they wouldn't be able to recognize Jesus as well, especially because it was nighttime. But of course, Judas would easily recognize Jesus. And so he gave them the sign. If you see me kiss him, that is the one. Grab him. And so Jesus came to Jesus and greeted him. Hail Rabbi, or in other words, greetings teacher. Greetings, Rabbi. And when he greeted uh, Jesus in this way, you can still, you can still see the affection in Jesus's voice. He still did not count Judas as an enemy. Notice how he addressed Judas friend. So basically, now, as I've said to you earlier, we're not going to bring into all of the elements that are taking place here, but we're going to primarily function In Matthew's account of these events, but from time to time, we'll bring in other elements of the other gospel writers. Okay. But nevertheless, Jesus addressed him simply saying, friend, do what you have come to do. Jesus knew exactly. Remember, even at the Passover meal, when Jesus handed him that little special sandwich, that little piece of bread, and said, to whom I give this to, this is the one who will betray me. So Jesus knew that Judas would betray him as he indicated at the Passover meal, and he lets Judas know even to his face that he knows that he is betraying him even now, do what you came to do. And with that particular signal, the soldiers came and quickly grabbed hold of Jesus before anything could happen. Now, while all of this tumult was going on, you have to remember what was happening with the disciples that is Peter, James and John that Jesus had taken with him to pray with him and they were asleep and that it was also night and these things are coming in a surprising manner. It's kind of surprising everybody as Judas is coming out with this great band of soldiers and no doubt they were fearful. And what you have to understand is the emotional uh, thing that was taking place with the disciples, namely Peter here. And this we understand as fight or flight. And this is what took place with Peter. So when Peter kind of awakened out of his drowsiness, seeing all of these soldiers, wondering what the devil is going on. And these large number of people with swords and clubs and coming to arrest Jesus and Judas, kissing him. Peter, he didn't know what to do. Peter had a large sword, so he took his sword. And we find out from other writers, I believe also John, and struck Malchus the servant of the high priest. Now this will come into play later on, but he struck him and cut off his right ear. I think it's Luke who lets us know that Jesus took the man's right ear and put it back on his head. So once again, we can see the compassion of Jesus and even caring for his enemies at a time in which he knew they were coming to arrest him so that they can have him put to death literally crucified, but nevertheless, Peter struck him in fighting. He just, he didn't know what to do. So he just fought, fought. but it's clear. Let me make this observation by the cutting off of the high priest servants ear, Malchus, by the cutting off at his ear, it showed that Peter was aiming for his head. Peter tried to cut his head off, but guess what? What was Peter's job? Peter was not a soldier. He was a fisherman before Jesus called him into discipleship. He didn't know how to use a sword, so he missed. But nevertheless, this brought about a rebuke from Jesus and he told Peter, to put up his sword. Why? Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And therefore Jesus set forth a principle concerning struggling for the kingdom of God, concerning the expansion of the kingdom of God, something that the church under the, the church of God, under the Romans, and I don't want to get into church history because we do know that the the Roman Church sent many delegations of soldiers out to conquer in the name of Jesus with wars. They called them simply the Crusades. What did Jesus say? Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. We cannot conquer in this manner with the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel is always through peace. The spread of the gospel is never with violence and never by force. The spread of the gospel is something that is done by people's willful acceptance of the gospel. People will accept it or people will reject it, but they are free to do that and without force, of the sword. And this is the point that Jesus was teaching the church, that he was saying to Peter at this particular time. But nevertheless, he continued on to say to Peter, do you not understand that even now? So notice here, we see the voluntary giving that Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. What did he say? I can call my father and he would put at my disposal 12 legions of angels. Now you have to understand the very nature of what Jesus was trying to say. Number one, he was saying to Peter, I don't need your help. Number two, what is happening? I am allowing this to happen. Why? Number three, I can even at this time appeal to my father and guess what? He will save me if I ask. So that's the whole point. It shows the voluntary Jesus giving up his life. What did he say again? No man takes my life from me. I give it up of my own free will. But let's look into what Jesus said that he could call his father and send 12 legions. One legion, a Roman legion is 6,000 soldiers. 6,000 soldiers. Jesus said that he could immediately have 12 legions at his disposal right at that moment, which would be 72,000 angels. Now what I want to make you guys understand is at that moment when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Jesus said that he could prevent that arrest with 72,000 angels. What is so special about that when we go into the book of second Kings and we see where there was one angel that came into the camp of the Assyrians and I'm not going to get into all of the details, but nevertheless, one angel came into the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 men in a single night, 185,000 were killed by one angel. If you have 72,000 angels who come in a destructive power, in a destructive manner, understand what Jesus was trying to say. Those 72,000, if one can kill 185,000, multiply that by 72,000 they could have wiped out the human race if Jesus had simply asked for it. Not just simply those mere four or 500 men that came to arrest Jesus. They could have wiped out every human being on the face of the planet to defend Jesus from being arrested and crucified if he asked for it. So again, no man, No one took Jesus life. He gave it up. Jesus never resisted the cross. He never prayed to keep from dying. He voluntarily gave up his life. But I'm gonna leave that alone because that always excites me. And I hope it excited you too, just to learn what Jesus was really saying. But anyway, so Jesus continued to say, that it was still necessary for these things to take place so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Then turning to the crowd, Jesus challenged them and said, why are you arresting me in this manner? I was with you every day in the temple where you saw me, but you did not lay hands on me. What is the reason for this ruckus at this time? Why are you arresting me in this manner? He says, but I understand this is your hour. This is the hour of darkness. All of this simply takes place to fulfill the scriptures. And so he said it in the plural, the scriptures of the prophets. That is everything that was spoken in the scripture that dealt with these events. That is the suffering and the death of the Messiah, which would ultimately lead to his Resurrection, But anyway, and finally in this section, what happened? All of the disciples fled, fulfilling what Jesus told them after the Passover meal. This night, all of you will abandon me, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Thus, Jesus' words were clearly fulfilled, ours. Later. Next section. Now let's go to the trial events. Now, we understand that in the scriptures, when we take it all in totality, Jesus was led in about six different places. First, he was led to Annas, and then he was led to Caiaphas. Then he is put before the San- Annas' house, then Caiaphas' house, then the Sanhedrin's house. Then he is ultimately led to Pilate. Then he is led to uh, King Agrippa, I do believe. Then he is led back to Pilate in judgment. So there's a lot of shifting back and forward. Matthew is not trying to give an account of all of these events. He is primarily simply focusing on that Jewish trial, those Jewish events that led to Jesus' condemnation to death by the Sanhedrin, and how the Gentile governor Pilate rendered judgment that led to Jesus' death. So, Pilate, and neither all of the gospel writers are concerned with every single solitary event. Again, what do we have to do? We have to kind of piece it together from all of the accounts of this event from all four gospel writers, okay? We're not gonna do that, again, focusing on Matthew's account. Verse 57, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now, the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, this man stated, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is this that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? Okay, awful, but let's deal with it. So primarily what we're dealing with in this particular section is that we're dealing with the Jewish council in their trial of Jesus. And we know that this is a mockery of a trial and in a number of ways, they themselves did not follow their own rules for a trial. One of the first things that we see is this trial took place at night and guess what? No trial in Jewish law was ever to take place at night. Jesus was arrested at night and this so-called of a trial took place at night. Even though we see this a, this is, a preliminary trial. They're gonna give a a further conviction of Jesus later on, but we'll just stick with Matthew's account. But they are giving the preliminary judgment concerning Jesus, again, a violation. But what do we see? They are at the household of Caiaphas, who is the legitimate high priest at this time. Remember that it was his father-in-law, Annas, who was the previous high priest, He is no longer high priest, his son-in-law, Caiaphas is high priest, even though Annas carries the respect of the people. But nevertheless, Caiaphas is here and has convened with a number of chief priests and elders of the people. No doubt he has convened uh, the ones who will likely condemn Jesus to death. In other words, do what they have determined to do, put Jesus to death. And these are they who are gathered at his house as those soldiers are now bringing them to Caiaphas house. And we see Peter following at a distance. Now, we don't want to again bring in all of the details, but one of the disciples of Jesus was known by the high priest and he was able to gain access into the courtyard of the high priest. And that's how Peter got a chance to come into the high priest courtyard because he went and appealed on Peter's behalf. And they let Peter in and Peter came into the courtyard, watching Jesus from a distance, watching them from a distance to see what judgment that they would bring against Jesus to see what the outcome would be. Now the the priest and the council were continually trying to find people to bring in an accusation against Jesus. Again, what is the mindset? they wanted to put him to death, but the problem was they could not find people to agree. According to Jewish law, no person could be condemned without two or three witnesses agreeing. So finally they found two so-called witnesses who they themselves couldn't rightly agree, but nevertheless agreeing in general, saying that Jesus had said that he would destroy the temple and then rebuild it, which takes us all the way back to Jesus. And in, in this happened occurred in the, in the gospel of John when he had first come into the temple and cleared the temple. And Jesus made the statement concerning his body that if they destroyed his body in three days that he would raise his body back from the dead. And that's the temple that Jesus was referring to. Interesting enough that they would bring two men with this accusation. What do I mean? Notice what they are trying to do. They are trying to have Jesus put to death. What is the accusation? Destroy the temple. He'll raise it in three days, the temple of his body. So in their accusation, Indeed, even though misinformed and misunderstanding what Jesus said, indeed, they are correct because they are seeking to destroy his temple. And within three days, he will resurrect that temple. But nevertheless, when he did so, so finally finding two men to agree, the chief priest, the high priest is coming to Jesus, asking Jesus, To defend himself, speak to these accusations that these men are saying how you're going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem and then have this temple to be rebuilt. But what happened as Jesus stood before them, not having a just accusation against him, because these are unjust accusations, Jesus kept his peace. He didn't say a word. Fulfilling what it was spoken by Isaiah, I would believe it's Isaiah 53. Like a lamb before the sheep, he opened not his mouth. Like one that is led before the shearers, he did not say a mumbling word. So Jesus kept his silence before them. And this aggravated the chief priest because what? He wants Jesus to say something, not so much as to defend himself, but to to entangle Jesus to say something that they can find a reason to condemn him and have him put to death. But again, what do we find? They broke their own rules. What? The first thing is to happen in a Jewish court is the defense. The first thing is to come, the defense. It doesn't work in their first century Jewish system. It didn't work like our judicial system works. In our judicial system, first we have the offense, we have the case brought against the defendant, and then the defendant has the right to bring his case. In the first century Jewish sense, in the Sanhedrin, the first thing was to be, was the defendant was first to bring his case. This did not happen. The offense brought their case first. So again, we see what, another violation of their own rules in which they were seeking to kill Jesus. They broke many different rules seeking to kill Jesus. Why? Because they were not legally trying to put Jesus to death. They were illegally trying to put Jesus to death at any cost, by any means. But let's just keep going. Dealing with back to the silence of Jesus. So as the high priest was beginning to be really irritated by Jesus' silence, he put Jesus under oath. And I think this is in Leviticus chapter five, which says, according to the law of Moses, if a person is put under oath, that is under oath before God, they are commanded. It is absolutely obligatory. They are obliged to answer. So by putting Jesus under oath, Jesus had to respond. So what did he say? I adjure you. That's what he means when he said, I adjure you. I'm placing you under an oath before the living God. So right then and there, Jesus got the answer. Tell us two things, uh, whether you are the Christ and tell us whether you are son of the living God. When he's by the son of God, he was literally saying, Tell us whether you are a divine being. They understood that Jesus is that son of God is title for divine personage. That is that Jesus is God. Tell us whether you are the Christ. That is the Messiah. Tell us whether you are the Messiah. Tell us whether you are the son of God, God, a divine being. Watch, Jesus said, You have spoken it. Same terminology that he used to Judas when Judas said, Is it I, Rabbi? But again, you have said it. And notice how Jesus answered the question. Notice the two questions. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see Son of Man, Son of Man. That is the terminology for the Messiah terminology for the Messiah. Am I the Messiah? Yes. You will see the son of man doing what sitting at the right hand of power to the right hand of power. That is the right hand of God to sit at God's right hand. God is enthroned. God is seated on his throne. To sit on the right hand of God means to sit on the very throne of God in order to sit on the throne of God, to be qualified for such a seating, you must be God yourself. No mere man can sit on God's throne only God can sit on the throne of God. So Jesus, and then he continued to say coming in the clouds of heaven. That is the activity of the Messiah. So what did Jesus do? He affirmed both of their question. Yes, I am the Messiah. And yes, I am God. I am the son of God. I am God. See, that's the thing that messes up in the church today. We don't understand the term son of God is a term for deity. It is a term for the divine nature. They asked Jesus, was he God? And Jesus simply said, yes, I am. I even sit on God's throne. When When they heard that, how do you know this is, this is what Jesus was saying? What I just said to you guys, when they heard that, notice what is, what, how the high priest reacted, he tore his clothing, this extreme act of the high priest in the tearing of his clothing. Notice what he said. He has blasphemed. Why did he act in the extreme? He did not react in the extreme, the tearing of his robe, which once again was a violation of the law. Why? Because the high priest was never to tear his robe. But once again, violation of the law of Moses, the tearing of the robe was showing extreme grief. And he said, Jesus blaspheme. It is not a blasphemy to say that you are the Messiah. That is not a blasphemy. What is a blasphemy is considered blasphemy is for a mere man to say that he is God. So therefore, what do we see when they say, ask Jesus, was he son of God? They are not asking him. Is he some sub deity? Is he something less than God? They were asking him, was he God? Are you God in the flesh? Jesus did not respond to them and say, no, I am not God in the flesh. He responded, it is as you say, I am God in the flesh and I will sit on the throne of God. The problem was not that Jesus said he was Messiah. That wasn't a blasphemy. The blasphemy in their mind was when Jesus said he was God son of God. And therefore the rabbi. So what did he say? The, the high priest, he has blasphemed, and that's what they were looking for. Because what the penalty for blasphemy is death to blaspheme God is to be put to death by stoning. But of course they didn't want to stone Jesus to death. They wanted the Roman officials to put Jesus to death, but they themselves needed what? A reason they needed a legal religious reason to have Jesus put to death. And the one that they settled on was here blasphemy. So therefore they were saying, we got him. We got him, And so he says, we, ha- we, he has blaspheme. You all have heard the blaspheme. What do you now say? What is your judgment? And they said he deserves death. Once again, they violated Jewish religious, uh, uh, legal prudence jurisprudence. They violated their own laws. That is laws in dealing with uh, how you handle courts and things. Why? Because first of all, whenever you should hear a case, according to Jewish law, they could not render a judgment. They had to wait at least 24 hours, which is literally give time to think about it, give time for emotions to settle, give time for things to cool off. And then after 24 hours, they could render judgment. But notice what the chief priest did, the high priest did. He asked for an immediate rendering of judgment. What do you think? And they immediately said, he is, he is deserving of the death penalty. So again, we just simply see, as I was telling you over and over again, consistently they violated their own rules. They got Jesus at night. They got these bad witnesses against Jesus. They put on the offense, Offensive case first, when the defensive case should have come, then they have put Jesus under oath and then finally they're rendering judgment against Jesus immediately. So they're violating it all over the place. And this is not the end of their own violation of their own laws. So what continued to happen? Once they did this, they began to abuse Jesus and misuse Jesus. And even once again, what did Isaiah say like a lamb dumb before its shearers. What? Jesus opened not his mouth and all of the mistreatment. And they began to beat, they blindfolded Jesus, they began to spit in his face. Now that's really low when you spitting in his face. That is simply showing the contempt that they had for Jesus. You are nothing, you are nobody. You are are spitting on the Messiah. You are spitting in the face of the creator. You don't understand what you are doing. Fools. The creator of the universe for by him, all things were made things visible, things invisible. This is the one whose face, You are spitting in God who created the universe. And what did he do? Because, okay, because we ain't worth a quarter because of our sins, my sins, your sins. He said he stood there in the midst of sinners and he took it. He who could have called 72,000 angels and obliterated all of them, he took it. They spat in his face. They punched him in the face. They snatched the hairs out of his beard. And as they did these things, they ridiculed him, saying to him, prophesy, you so-called Messiah. If you're the Messiah, you're supposed to know. Tell us who hit you in your face. Okay. I could not have taken it. Only i I've said it a thousand times. Only Jesus could have done what he had done. Only God can save only Jesus could have withstood and took the abuse that having the power you wait till we start talking about the gospel of John and you find out what Jesus did when they first came to him in the garden. When they first came to Jesus in the garden and said well, Jesus said whom do you seek they said Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus said I am and when he said those words a power came from him and knocked every one of them off their feet only Jesus could have done this He could have taken what he took the abuse the misuse ultimately the cross and still not have defended himself because me with my arrogant tail, I would have knocked every one of them out. And you too, you too. But back to the text. So this ends this mockery of a trial that they had with Jesus. And again, according to Jewish law, you could not hit or abuse no, any, uh, any defendant. Again, they broke their own laws. What do you see them doing? Hitting and abusing Jesus at this very moment. Okay, so now we finish this section uh, dealing with the mockery in the trial of Jesus. And now let's finish the final section in chapter 26 with the denial of Peter. As we reflect back earlier, when Jesus was saying to them, Tonight, all of you will be scattered because of me on this night. All of you will stumble, will fall away. And Peter's grand uh, uh, faith in himself, his own arrogance, his own pride, though all that is all of my brothers may deny you. All of them may run away. I will stand. Now we come to see Jesus's prophetic words concerning Peter. You will not stand. Peter, not only will you not stand, you will give the worst showing of all of my disciples. So let's look into that and close this section. 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and the servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were with him, who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you too are one of them for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Okay, now we get to the denial of Peter. Remember, Peter had been following the soldiers from afar and we believe it was John Mark, Who had, because he had, was known by the chief priest, the high priest, he had allowed, sent for Peter to come in. And Peter was watching the trial from afar and standing by the fire, warming himself. So what we're going to see is a procession of distance in Peter. All right. A procession of distancing of Peter from Jesus. Peter standing by the fire. He was a little closer here, warming himself up. And all of a sudden, and we'll see this, I'll talk about it as I go through here. And all of a sudden, a young slave girl, not a big burly man, a young slave girl comes to Peter. Remember now, Peter, Jesus was brought by those soldiers. So you're gonna have a certain number of soldiers that are still going to be present. Peter along with those soldiers are out there and officers of the high priest. Okay. And other slaves are out there in the courtyard in a courtyard of the high priest. While Jesus is in the inside of before the high priest, Caiaphas and going through this mockery of a trial. So the girl comes up to Peter and simply says to Peter, you were with Jesus. And so what did Peter do? The first thing he denied it before everybody, not just before the girl. Peter got everybody's attention, he denied it. Remember, put the context of the scene in your mind. Those soldiers who just had Jesus arrested and escorted there, who are going to be escorting Jesus from place to place, they are there. Peter is fearful of those soldiers, because why? They can bring Peter in along with Jesus at this moment. So he denies it before, everybody. I do not know what you're talking about. So he plays dumb in the most general sense. What what you talking about? What you talking about? And then, so what does he do? He moves from around that fire, what to the gateway. So notice you see as he moves closer to the gateway, that is away further from Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get you guys to see. He's moving further away from Jesus physically, because first he is nearer Jesus by the fire. Now, as the one they begin to identify people, he's moving towards the gateway, moving away out, out, but further away from Jesus. So take in all of the spiritual intake of what this is saying, moving further away from Jesus. Now, moving to the gate. But moving to the gateway, notice what happened. Another girl comes in, says to Peter, listen, she says, you were one of those who were with Jesus. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, what does Peter do? But notice again, we see a, a, a procession as he moves further away physically from Jesus. Notice he increases the denial further away, increasing of denial. Now, He doesn't just simply play dumb like he did the first time, but this time he denies knowing Jesus by making an oath. I say unto you by something about whatever he, that he wants to swear by. I do not know the man. So what do we see increasing? He is increasing a procession. Things are getting worse. He's moving further away. His denials are increasing. Word is getting worse. Okay. Now with an oath, generality at first, now with an oath. But now again, what happened? A little later on, other bystanders came up and we'll find out that this was, we'll find out from the other gospel writers. This was a man who was related to Malchus. Remember it was Malchus, the servant of the high priest that Peter cut his ear off and Jesus put his ear back on. It was a man related to Malchus. So this man was out there in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. He is now beginning to recognize Peter and also knowing that, Hey, you cut off my cousin's ear. (laughs) But anyway, so one of those bystanders came up to Peter and said, yeah, you are one of those Peters, but listen, because your accent is giving you away. That northern Galilean accent, because northern Galileans spoke with a different accent than those did in the south. He says, Your accent is giving you away. Man, yeah, for sure. For sure, you are one. Then what does Peter do? Now, notice the ultimate. At first, he, be, he did what? I don't know what you're talking about. Then what did he do? He makes an oath high and higher. Now, what does he begin to do? He began to curse and to swear. Now, this is not what we may be thinking using curse words and swear words. No, no, no. What Peter began to do here is may God strike me down. If I'm lying to you, may my left arm fall off or let my legs get get weak and me fall to the ground. This is what he was doing. He was saying, may God strike me in some way if I'm if I'm lying to you and notice, I do not know the man. This is the second time Peter said, I do not know the man. But what I need first, generality. Don't know what you're talking about. Second, with an oath. Third, boom, he's at the highest point. He's swearing. He's calling upon curses on himself. But again, what I want you to see, notice Peter did not even use Jesus's name. Now, that's what's heartbreaking. Notice what he said in the second and third time. I do not know the man. He didn't say, I don't know Jesus. Now even Peter is saying he's not even calling Jesus by name. Same thing we see happening with the priest. Notice they didn't even want to call Jesus by name. How sad it is for just hours earlier when Peter was saying what, that even though the rest of my brothers may deny you, may run away from you, may scatter, they may weaken and fall. I will never deny you. Look at this sobering issue now. What happened early in the garden when we saw Judas first coming out with those soldiers and Peter awakening out of his slumber, seeing these great bands of men, we saw the instinct to fight, we saw the instinct of fight. Now that Peter has had a chance to calm down, now that this situation has now really come into Peter and he is able to judge the severity of what's going on and that Jesus might literally be sentenced unto death and now Peter is giving a sober judgment. We don't see this element of fight coming into Peter. Now we see the fear of flight. So what is Peter doing? He's moving further and further away from Jesus. What is he doing in his denials of Jesus? They're increasing and becoming worse and worse and worse until it finally ends up Peter calling down curses upon himself as he distances himself from Jesus as far as he can be. I do not, I swear before God, I swear I don't know God. May God take the life of my wife. I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And when he did it for the third time, the words of Jesus are now fulfilled. When Jesus says, before a rooster crows, you will three times deny that you even know me, Peter. And therefore, It happened and it is when the rooster crowed and I can just hear it or whatever the rooster would have said when Peter heard, it was something about the crowing of the rooster that triggered that Jesus's words in Peter, it broke Peter out of whatever it was he was doing at that time. It just snapped him it snapped him back into reality. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus. He said, my Lord had told me before the rooster crow, I would three times deny him. So when he heard that sound, it snapped him, it brought him back and he remembered those things and it broke his heart. Peter had disappointed Jesus. Peter has once said, the man who once said, I'll stand when nobody else would stand. The man who once said those words fell worse than any of them had fallen. And Peter understood just how far he fell. But there's another gospel right. Let me just simply say this, that I don't supposed to do it, but I got to do it. I got to do it. I want to do it. It said that at the time of Peter's denial, Jesus looked up at the moment and Jesus going through all of the stuff that he was going through. He was able to look up across the way and see Peter and Peter met Jesus. You can imagine as he made eye contact with Jesus at that very moment, how he felt like less than nothing. And now we see the response of Peter. He left that place and wept bitterly. Notice what you see, he moved further and further and further away. And now Peter and weeping bitterly. Now these words are literally saying, Peter is not, this is not the weeping of Judas. This is the weeping of true repentance that we see in Peter. Okay, thanks for joining me with all of that. Let's take a very quick look. What do we see? Now we see Judas coming out, and Judas bringing a cohort of soldiers, a band of soldiers, arresting Jesus. We see a tumult for a moment, and Peter leading the tumult, cutting off the high priest's ear. We see fight in Peter. But nevertheless, Jesus reprimanded Peter. He allowed himself to be arrested. Then those soldiers took him to the house of Caiaphas. And there, as in the house house of the high priest Caiaphas, they put Jesus in the mockery of trial. They break all of their own rules of trials against Jesus because they are trying to put him to death. They bring person after person after person to try to testify against Jesus, finding none. They find themselves upon two men with crazy uh, 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 testimony against Jesus. And the high priest puts Jesus under oath. He says, I Jew, you tell us two things. Are you the Christ? Are you God in the flesh? Are you the son of God? And Jesus affirmed both things. And therefore they accused Jesus of blasphemy, a sin under Jewish law. That is, that is, uh, worthy of death. The penalty for blasphemy is death, which is what they were trying to get the whole time. And therefore they began to continue to mistreat mistreat Jesus, even further spitting him in his face, plucking out his beard, punching him in his face while Jesus was blindfolded saying to Jesus, if you are the Christ, like you say you are, then tell us who hit you. Then we continued on finally to close the scene with Jesus' final words being fulfilled in Peter of his denial. And we see Peter moving further and further away from Jesus, distancing himself in the body, distancing himself in his words, distancing himself with his denials. And it is with that third and final denial that Peter himself is shocked into reality. And he remembers the prophetic words of Jesus of his denial and the words ended with peter leaving and weeping bitterly now what you guys need to understand about that final words of weeping bitterly it literally means he was crying like a baby but anyway thanks for joining me with that join me again next time as we get into chapter 27 and we start to deal with judas's remorse on what he had done different than Peter's remorse, but we're gonna look into that. And we're gonna see the beginning of Jesus' civil trial before the Roman governor, Pilate. All right, guys. Oh, and by the way, just in case, if thanks for those who have supported the ministry, those who support this channel, and who support this teaching. You have said many, many times, I have read all of your comments, how the lessons and the teachings have been a blessing to you and you have been a blessing to me in that support. For those of you who have not supported, we still need your support. It's only a handful of people who are supporting, so we still do need your support. So if you do find these teachings to be a, a blessing to you, I ask you, look in the description. There is a link there that shows how you can give a donation and continue, make this ministry available for yourselves and for others. Remember, we don't even show advertisement. I've turned all of that crap off so that you can really hear and appreciate all of these teachings without all of those constant interruption by YouTube. So we need your support and I'm asking for your support and we thank you for your support. But enough of that. Join me next time when we get into chapter 27 and we begin to focus on the civil trial of Jesus in order to have him put to death. See you next time.